Create for No Reason is your weekly dose of courage to stop making excuses and start bringing your ideas to life. Hello, hello. I hope you are doing awesome. I am really excited about today's episode because I get to introduce you to my friend Tariq, who I've mentioned him on the show before because I did a poetry workshop with him and I just appreciate his work. I think he's an interesting human. And hey, that's what I like to do on this show, right? Bring you people that you might not have otherwise met and hopefully have some fun conversations about creativity. And specifically today, a lot about poetry and writing and the writing process. So I'm excited to introduce you to my friend, Tariq Robertson. Tariq Robertson is a writing instructor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and East Carolina University. He is also an accomplished Kaveh Kanem Poetry Fellow. His, career, his teaching career spans 11 years and collectively includes teaching composition and literary studies courses at three additional universities and institutions of higher learning. He is a research writer as well as a creative writer, and he's currently working on his book of poetry which should be released this year, actually. Tariq is the founder of Fourth Period Poetry on Clubhouse. He is the CEO of Sankofa Services, which is a parent company that he runs a couple of other companies underneath that, including some clothing companies, a writing workshop, publishing company, and podcast. Tariq's awesome. He has his hands in a lot of different things. Very creative, very interesting so please enjoy my conversation with the wonderful Tariq Robertson. Tariq, get excited. Okay. I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> I am so excited to be doing this with you because you are such an interesting person. You think so? <laughs> I do. I do. And I have talked about you on the podcast a few times because I took your po one of your poetry intensives. Is it a, yes. is it intensive? Or I was calling it a workshop, and I got yelled at. Um, who who yelled at you? Um, Lolita. <laughs> oh, um, I don't know the difference. <laughs> well, it's, either way, I mean, yeah. Either way, I took it, and it was so phenomenal, and it just taught me, I, I just learned so much from you about the writing process, about mm -hmm. poetry, and and then I got to know a little bit more about you and just kind of your essence and what you believe in and who you mm -hmm. are. And so I kind of wanted to, to start with, because you, you have this brand about you, this um, Sankofa concept. Mm -hmm. And you kind of live your life by that. So I would love to kind of start, like, what does that mean? What is that? Okay. So the Sankofa is actually an Adinkra um, symbol. It comes out of West Africa, out of a religious tradition. And it means to go back and fetch it or learn from your past. Um, the symbol itself, which mm, I don't, oh, actually, no. So I've got my, my ring on today. I think, yeah, you can see that. Oh, yeah, that's cool. it's actually supposed to be two swans who are looking back at each other. So it's symbolizing looking back at the past. Um, and, you know, I'm getting to be of a certain age now. <laughs> <laughs> Living so, your best life. Yeah, yeah. But the older I get, um, the more I get it, you know, um, all of the events and experiences of our past have been a part of a master design um, to teach us lessons. Um, and I, I'm realizing that life going forward does not have to be as hard as we make it. If we look backwards and see the patterns that we've already established for ourselves, because our lives have already taught us everything that we need to know, we just don't pay attention. So I try very hard every day to, um, to live by this concept of, of learning from the past, go back and fetch it. Always um, look to the past for your future. Oh, I love that. And you talk about how you really strive to live this in 
your personal life and your professional life in your work mm-hmm. in your poetry like mm-hmm. how does that like what does that look like for you as far as kind of just kind of having that through line in everything that you do so what i'm not going to do <laughs> is sit here and pretend that I have it together every single day and that I'm like, you know, on because I'm not. Um, but when I am um, consistently and firmly in that vein of thought um, <clears throat> and um, dedicated to that practice, um, that life practice, um, it looks like life being a lot easier, a lot less stressful. Um, there's a lot more clarity and, um, a lot less worry about what what's coming because you know that you are doing everything that you need to do in the now to really certify good, positive, healthy, desired results down the road. Um, in the hit and miss times, it's it's hit and miss, you know. Um, but it's 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 a work in progress. I mean, I think like everything, we can pretend that we've got it together, but none of us really do. Yeah. No. no. <laughs> I say it all the time when someone asks me, oh, how are you doing? Many times I respond with just figuring out life every day, yeah. at, one day at a time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if you're asking me about right now, yeah, right now I'm good, you know. <laughs> so talk to me about, you're such a beautiful writer and can we kind of get into, I, I don't really even know what inspired you to start writing or when you got into that world. And mm-hmm. obviously now you're a writing instructor, you teach this stuff, you love this stuff. And, and mm-hmm. how did you kind of get introduced to poetry and writing yourself? So the funny thing, the answer to that question is I don't remember not knowing poetry. Oh. I, don't, I don't really know when I got introduced to it. Um, as a child, um, I didn't have a whole lot of friends. Um, I was somewhat an only child for most of my my younger years because my older sibling left home at an early age, so it was just me. In my upbringing, my parents often weren't speaking to each other, and nobody was speaking to me, um, and so I didn't have I didn't have an outlet. And poetry just kind of became the listening ear. It was the way to say the unsayable who I was saying it to, I don't know, but um, it allowed me to, I learned early that it allowed me to take ugly circumstances and feelings and transmute them into something beautiful that I could cherish, that I could be proud of. Um, So I started writing pretty fairly early, Um, not with any serious consideration. I know, I mean, in my, around my teens, there was this fascination with one day being a writer and um, I went through a Stephen King phase all kind of weird stuff. Did but, you really? <laughs> I did. I did. I remember um, on summer break from school, uh, and I was in middle school, and I was reading It, Pet oh. Cemetery, Cujo. <laughs> oh god! I fell in love with that stuff. I don't. I don't know. Just, yeah. <laughs> Deep. You're dark. There's some I'm, darkness inside you. <laughs> probably, you know, I still very much love horror films. So yeah, but um, yeah, so growing, I mean, into my 20s, um, I got involved with uh, spoken word uh, poetry. And then um, somewhere around 2000, I, it just died. I just stopped writing. I stopped participating. And um, I didn't write for a very long time. It was just kind of off and on, off and on. And then January of last year, I jumped on Clubhouse out of boredom because of the pandemic and stumbled into a poetry room and found inspiration and picked up my pen and started writing again um, daily. And um, it's just kind of grown from there. Um, That that experience has been sort of life-saving, you know? Wow. Tell me about that. What do you mean it was life-saving? I don't, so, and I mean that in two ways. One, in relation to Clubhouse and the poetry rooms, and two, um, in regard to to writing itself. Um, At the beginning of the pandemic, I was fine. I'm an introvert. You know, I I don't mind being by myself. So when when people were just kind of spazzing out, like, oh my God, we got to stay in the house. And I'm like, 
what's the big deal? You know, <laughs> you know, I was fine. But my partner was also working um, at home here with me. So I wasn't really technically alone. And then um, last year, he got called back into the office to work, um, to physically go in. And that left me at home for like upwards of 10 hours a day. And that's when it started to really get to me and I was crawling the walls. And that's when I discovered Clubhouse. So I don't know what my what the last year would have looked like for me um, had it not been for stumbling onto that app and finding this community of people and then reigniting my passion for poetry because it really helped me get me through the pandemic depression and everything else that came along with that. So, Yeah, that's so interesting. I... I feel like it came about at the exact time that a lot of people needed mm-hmm. needed it to be able mm-hmm. to connect to have those connections even though it was, even though it's an audio only app you really do connect with people in yeah. a meaningful way and then when you get to kind of go from audio only and then meet them over on Instagram and get yeah. to know a little bit more about their lives you are someone who um, I was intimidated by. Why? Oh, yeah. Why? I think I. <laughs> so Lolita, who has been on, I've interviewed her on the show. Mm-hmm. She introduced me to you and uh, she told me about your workshop and she said, you have to do this workshop with me. And I went on your page and to check you out. And I was, you are just so fierce all your photos are just so <laughs> like beautiful, but very, you're, you you looked very serious and you have this like way about you. You have a lot of power like in, in, in you, like it's, it looks, you, you just have this, I don't know. I can't even describe it, but it's just fierce. That's the mm-hmm. way I would, that's the word I would use. So I reached out to you. I remember when I reached out to you, cause I was like, I don't know if I could take this guy's workshop. <laughs> it's like, and I will never forget sitting on the Zoom so nervous because what I asked you was, hey, I I don't do poetry. I've never really written poetry. I'm just getting right. into it. I remember. For me. And you said yes. And you were so kind. And so I got on that Zoom. And I'll never forget the first time I heard you talk because I'd never spoken to you. And I was like, oh, my gosh, he's so cool and down to earth and laid back. <laughs> and here I am picturing this not at all what I thought you were going to show up as. And, um, and then I just think you're amazing. Just getting to know you that the little that I've gotten to know you even, but, um, but it was so funny because I'll never forget the way that I saw you before. And then the way that I see you now. And, um, and it's, it was just such a pleasure to kind of get to know more about you, but also just to learn more about writing and poetry and you speak so beautifully about writing and do you believe because I think a lot of people like me when I came to your workshop I yes I write and I've been I've I've written kind of throughout my career mostly business stuff mostly kind of articles and blogs and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. but I really fell in love with poetry over the past couple of years And, um, I think a lot of people are intimidated. Like I was, I was intimidated to take a poetry class, but do you think that people can learn to become a poet, to learn how to write in the way that they want to, in a way that they kind of, you know, when you look at someone else's work and you think, oh my gosh, that's beautiful. How did they get there? Can I ever get there? Do you think that people, that, that anybody can write poetry? Well, so I think you can learn poetry, but you can't learn passion. Mm. It's two different things. Um, for the poet, now it's funny that you asked this because right before we got on, I was thinking about this. We had a conversation um, in one of the rooms a week or so ago on Clubhouse. Um, and, oh, so I remember. <clears throat> we did an, a, a Q&A form where people back-channeled questions and the question came up from someone who said that they'd been criticized for writing too much negative poetry um, and that it was just dark and it didn't really nourish people in any kind of way. When are you going to write about something else? I said, you know, I have a problem with this question because um, 
I'm thinking about Toni Morrison once being asked, when are you going to write about white people? And Toni Morrison says, you know, you don't understand how just offensive that question is, right? You'd never go to a white person and ask them, when are you going to write about black people? Why do I have to? You know, why would I, why should I go to this person and say, when are you going to write some happy poetry as opposed to trauma poetry? I'd never go to the happy poet and ask them when they're going to try their hand at, at trauma, right? So um, we, we're kind of tracing this out. And I said, you know, there's a difference between an artist and a hobbyist. Because an artist can sit in a room full of trauma poetry, erotic poetry, uh, protest poetry, love poetry, and just go up and down and up and down and in and out of the moods and the movements of the, of the poetry and not be bothered by that emotional upheaval because they're an artist. They're passionate about this. They understand art. They're clued into the fact that we're all exchanging energy. Now, the hobbyist just wants to hear what they want to hear. They want to write what they want to write. You know, they're not coming from the same place with it. They're not passionate about it. So I think people can learn poetry. Yes, you can learn the fundamentals of writing a poem, but I cannot teach a person passion. You either have to have that or you, you don't. And when you have it as an artist, poetry is not just a thing you do. It becomes a relationship that you're in. So this was my, my, my thought process before we got on, that it's like having a girlfriend or a boyfriend. You know, there's a daily exchange, a daily interaction. You talk about it a certain way, you approach it a certain way, you have a certain kind of reverence for it, you feel it, you know, it's a relationship, it's intimate. So I don't know, I hope that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I wrote that down. I, I love that you can't you can learn poetry, but you can't learn passion. One of the challenges that I think that I have sometimes in writing is I feel I feel very passionate or I feel so deeply. You know how some people are that you, you can just tell they feel they're very um, mm -hmm. they just are very in touch with their feelings and mm -hmm when I'm trying to get it out in a poem, sometimes the words just don't come. Like I feel the feeling and I don't know how to express it in the right language. Mm -hmm. That's what's that I feel. I mean, I even remember taking your workshop and, and I, you were so great at helping us. You have to visualize, like I still, Right now I can pull up the thoughts that I had when you would give us journaling prompts. Like I, I remember the scenes that played out in my mind and the feeling that I had in my gut, but it still took me a while to, to create the words that made sense to, to help others feel those same things. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's a question in here. Cause you didn't, I know. you didn't technically ask me a question. I didn't, I I didn't ask a question. I did. <laughs> I mean, I guess my, my question really is like, how do you, I mean, other than, I feel like I, one of the answers I, I presume it would be is you have to write more. You have to read more and write more so you can come up with that language. But, but I would, my question really to you is how do you become a better poet to be able to tap into those feelings, to create the work that, you know, you're capable of creating. You just can't kind of get to it just now. I don't think the, the secret is necessarily in writing more. I think it's in feeling more. Mm. It's meditation, right? You ever have a moment where you, you have a memory of something from years ago <clears throat> that just kind of sets upon you out of the blue. And in that instant, you can feel everything you felt in that moment. You can smell it. You can, you can taste it. You know, I had a moment not too long ago where out of the blue, I don't know why I was thinking about being a child and getting a fresh box of crayons and what it would smell like when you when you first opened that box of crayons, right? And I could I could feel that. And then my mind went to being like in first grade and getting construction paper and those fat pencils. I can I still have all of those sensory memories. Um, I think you remember from the workshop, I, I told you all, every time you have an experience, you have a poem because memory doesn't just happen in the brain, it happens in the body. So 
all of those memories, all those feelings, those sensations are locked away inside of you. But what you have to do is sit with them and allow yourself to re-experience them until you find language for it, right? That box of crayons, what does brown smell like? You know, did the brown crayon smell like the black crayon? Did the black crayon smell like the red one or the pink one? Were they different? You know, <laughs> um, but you have to sit with it and, and allow yourself to re-experience that stuff. And sometimes the language that you are searching for lives outside of the system of thought that you're trying to find it in. So you're trying to describe something in a traditional way. Maybe, it, maybe the answer is not traditional. Maybe you describe a sight with a sound. Maybe you describe a sound with a smell. Something else that people can make the association to whatever it is that you're trying to convey. That emotion, that feeling, what does that feeling smell like? What did it taste like? What did it feel like in, in your body? Um, what kinds of physical, did you get tense? Did you feel the hair stand up on your neck? Were your muscles, you know, tightening or were you nauseous? What, what was going on? Allowing yourself to, to feel the full process. You'll find, you'll find a, a vehicle, you'll find a language for it. But the answer is in feeling it in an even deeper way. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Who, mm -hmm. who inspires you? Who or what inspires you right now? Um, in terms of poetry or in general? In both. Can you answer both? Um, sure. Okay. So in terms of, of poetry, um, Gil Scott Heron, Essex Hemphill, um, Amiri Baraka, Nikki Giovanni, um, Langston Hughes. I don't really do a whole lot with, with more contemporary poets. Um, I'm, I'm really very much an old school person. So yeah, that's, that's my, my list of, um, of, of poets. Um, there are some other writers who definitely um, have impacted my taste in literature and in, I would say in poetry as well, because even though they're not technically poets, they, what they do is still poetic. So James Baldwin, Toni Morrison, Ralph Ellison, again, I'm very old school um, in my, my taste. <clears throat> and these also happen to be the authors that I've spent the last several years studying. Um, so um, in life in general, Beyonce. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's just across the board. <laughs> Listen, but it's but it's it's true. Like it, I admire her work ethic. Um, I am, admire her perseverance because I was a fan way back in the day when she was with Destiny's Child, and everybody hated her, and she pressed through all of that and became one of the biggest stars on the planet. So you know, I find that inspirational in my own way. Um, outside of that. I'm going to say people who just, who are not afraid to be themselves anywhere and everywhere I encounter it, the weirdos, the people who are not afraid to stand out, um, who aren't afraid to speak up. Those are the people that inspire me. Oh, I love that. Is there a particular skill or something that you are excited to, or that you're working towards? Like if there was like one skill that you can get really good at this year, what would it be? There's two. So this year, um, I want to learn to speak French um, fluently. We'll see if I can do Ooh. that in a year. Um, and I also want to learn to play the guitar. Do you really? Yes. Yeah. I have two and I, I practice off and on, but... I haven't been as committed to it because I was, you know, finishing grad school, but now that that's done, my time is a little bit freer. So, yeah. Oh, that's so, and then you'll be able to play music on your guitar in French. You can sing to us in French. <laughs> and do poetry. You and know? do poetry. Oh, there's well, a method are to you the madness. Turn, you could turn your poetry into songs. This is true. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. You're writing a book. 
I or, am. Or have you written it? It comes out this year, right? It does. Um, so no, I'm still working on it. I'm doing some editing and um, I want to write a couple more poems for it. Uh, I have a pretty good selection so far, but I just want to add a couple more. Yeah. How many poems are in the book now? Uh, so I've got around 43, but I, I want to go with 35. I want to cap at 35. So I'm trying to write more so that I'll have a, a larger pool to choose from. Okay, if we, I, I, we did an episode, I think it's called Sacred Spaces. And we were talking mm -hmm. about, does your space really influence your creativity? Like, does it really matter like where you write or where you paint or create whatever? And it was a really fun episode to do. And now I'm mm -hmm. reading this book called I think it's called the extended mind and it's talking a lot. It talks about nature and movement and being outside. <clears throat> and, but one of the things that it, she shares a lot of data behind the spaces that we're in and how it does make a huge impact in our work and how we show up. And so it's really interesting because it's stuff that I had already kind of believed, but to hear it from a perspective where there's actually data and yeah, it just, I, I see it and I, I, I kind of am, am viewing it differently now. Mm -hmm. um, do you have a writing practice and does that practice include like a space? Like, do you have a space in your home that you have to write or a certain ritual that you have to do in order to create your poetry? So I used to have a space. <laughs> <laughs> when my husband started working from home, he took over my space. Um, oh. Yeah, so he's back there working now. Um, so I've, I'm out here in the living room and I have a little writing desk here. My ritual, so my mornings, I, I realize I'm, I'm at my best in all things, including writing early, early in the morning. So my day starts around 4, 4 a.m. every day um, and I'll get up and I'll do my journaling. I'll do some, um, write some affirmations and um, intentions. I'll also write in my gratitude journal, have my coffee, um, work on something that looks like a poem. It doesn't have to be good, but just making sure that I try my hand at something poetic every single day. And then moving, <clears throat> excuse me, moving from that into like morning meditation and my sound bowls and all that stuff and more coffee. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And then I go from there and start, you know, the rest of my day. But yeah, the morning routine is is incense and and normally this light right here would be pink. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. So yeah, there's a, there's a whole mood that has to be in place. I can't write if things are, you know, not where they're supposed to be or there's dishes in the sink and all that stuff. So yeah, neat freak. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, there's something about no clutter that just helps with your creative mind. Mm -hmm. um, is there a particular poem that is your favorite that you've ever written? I don't know, I don't know. My favorite that I've ever written. That's a hard one. That is a really hard one. Um, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I I have several favorites, but um, just to boil it down to one, I don't know. And that's not me being like arrogant. Like I love everything that I wrote. No, it's not that. <laughs> well, you should. You wrote it, it's, and w and whenever you wrote it was the perfect thing to write at that moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. That's a hard question for me. Um, I'm look. I'm looking through my my notebooks now to, um, to see what's there that, that might. Uh, probably. Um, so it's going to be a toss up. There's a performance piece that involves music and me singing. Um, that's more recent. <clears throat> it's called "Loving Me Is Revolutionary." And it's Ooh, sort of, a, I yeah, love I love that piece though. <laughs> I love performing it because it makes me feel good. 
Like it's, it's, I don't care if anybody else enjoys it. When I do it, I feel better. So probably that one, that's probably the all time favorite. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I always like to ask our guests for an activity for the Mm -hmm. listeners, because, you know, we talk a lot about the creative process on this podcast, and I think it's important for people to kind of venture out and try something new and do something different, right? To kind of just like spark their creative mind. And so do you have an activity that you can leave us with that is five to 10 minutes max that someone can do. It's almost like we want to give the, we want to give the listener a challenge that you can do this in 10 minutes or less, and it's going to spark your creativity and it can be around poetry or writing or something that, that they can do. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, the 30 day writing challenge for, for poets is always um, a good one. So just commit to um, every day, making an attempt to write something poetic. It doesn't have to be a full stanza or a whole poem. It doesn't even have to be good. You just have to devote the time to actually sitting and thinking in um, in terms of poetry and maybe devising some, some uh, semblance of a metaphor or something in there. Um, but doing this for 30 days to see if you can track um, the progress that you make in excuse me, developing a poetic language, but in also um, your thought process in terms of like forming uh, similes and metaphors and, and um, you know, kind of honing in on rhyme scheme possibilities and things like that. But yeah, 10 minutes every day, 30 days, 30 day poetry challenge. I feel like people can do it. Look, Tariq just gave me. Tariq just gave you an even bigger challenge. I'm I'm just saying 10 minutes one time. He's like, no, 30 days, go all 30 in. 30 days. A challenge. <laughs> Listen, no. So, I mean, if you're a creative and you're trying to be a better creative, that's that's all, that's about, you know, developing a new set of habits. And in order for you to develop a new habit, you've got to do it, you know, with some repetition. They say 30 days. If you do it for 30 days, then pretty much it's it's locked in. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, in fact, the, the, the last episode that I, that I shared was about it. Was, I called it was challenges. I talked about challenges because mm-hmm. I did a 30 day cold shower challenge because mm-hmm. I know I, I hear a lot. I, I hear a lot about how, if you do that, it's just good for your immune system and all, all the yeah. things. I know, <laughs> I know, but I want to do one of those Wim Hof workshops and that's when you go like in the ice bucket yeah uh, no no (laughs) Kate why do you want to do this why do you want to do this to yourself you know what is what is you got to get out of your comfort zone right (laughs) there are other ways for you to get out of your comfort zone you know (laughs) try a new ice cream (laughs) there are there are other ways for you to do this Oh my gosh. I know. I know, but I'm excited. I'm excited to try it. Hey, listen, I got out of my comfort zone when I went and took your poetry workshop because you I did. was not comfortable in that space. Um, yes. But you made it really comfortable. You made it, you made it, you made me feel like I could actually do, do it, which, you know, I think, again, I think a lot of people are intimidated when they, when they think about writing, even what you just shared writing every day. I love that you added doesn't have to be good. Not only it doesn't have to be good, it probably won't be good. But you'll be surprised when you go back, you know, a week or so later and look at what you wrote and you're like, I wrote this, mm-hmm. you know, you, you'd be surprised. But Kate, so there's a word for, for that thing that you're describing that you were experiencing when you came to the workshop. It's called imposter syndrome. <laughs> Because you're you're a damn good poet, you are. I mean, you produced really good work, but you came into it with this this thought process where you inflated me to this like Gandhi like character. I did. <laughs> and you and and then at the same time diminished yourself, like oh, I'm not going to be as good as everybody else. And turns out you were one of the rock stars. So that yeah, that's that's imposter syndrome. That's what that is. Oh my gosh, you are so awesome. I just got that on cam- on camera. So this is, I got to put that into my, 
I got to I got to keep this around whenever I need a little boost. Tariq said I was good. <laughs> yeah, I told you that. I told you that a long time ago. I know. Yeah, it was. It was Have really you still fun. been writing? Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting. Speaking of Clubhouse, I have been doing a segment on Breakfast with Champions, and I know you've been popping mm -hmm. into those rooms. And because <clears throat> I have to write, do these segments, it's 30 minute segments. So I've kind of been challenging myself to not write poetry as the segment, but like there was a segment about making an impact. And mm -hmm. so I did a, I did the segment on making an impact, but I wrote a poem that kind of complemented the, the segment mm -hmm. and I started and I would share it. So mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of gotten me a lot better at just writing every day consistently. Yeah. And some of them I turn into poems and some of them I just kind of, I mean, they're very short, they're very short poems, but, but normally I would have even, even just saying that normally I would have thought, oh, well, it's too, it's not long enough. I'm not going to share it. This isn't a real poem. I'm like, no, it's a real poem. It doesn't have to be this huge, long thing in order yeah. to share it. Yeah. And one of the things that I started doing when I, when I write and what I learned from you and from even my friend, Sean, who's a poet and he, he reminds me of this, but one of the things that I took away from your workshop is the, the feel, feel, touch, smell. Like mm -hmm. if I ever write something and I read it and I, I feel now that it's emotionless unless mm -hmm. there is that scent, that touch, that, that physical, there's, there's yeah. gotta be those senses. Yeah. The storytelling behind a yeah. poem. Yeah. Cause that's how we connect to the poem. That's how we become a part of it. You have to give us all of the sensory information that allows us to have the experience too. And we want to have that experience. Like if, you're not going to let me in and let me be a part of it. Then what the hell are you sharing it for? You know? Yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> want to keep it to feel. yourself. Yeah. yeah. You want to feel the feelings. So, all right, Tariq, you're so awesome. I'm so glad that I get to introduce people to you because you're just such an interesting person. And I love getting to know you. I love kind of just seeing you on Instagram. You always just, you're just fun. You're just fun and creative and you're such a beautiful poet and I'm so glad that we're friends. I know that I didn't ask you to do this. And so maybe that, I don't know if you want to, but I would love if you would share a poem before I knew that end. was going to happen. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. Um, sure. So this is another of, of my new favorites. You're in, you're in Florida. So here in North Carolina, this part of the South, I don't know if they do this down in Florida, but Southern Black folks have a um, tendency when someone passes away and they want to know where, which funeral home in the, in the area actually is in possession of the body, like who's actually taking care of it, because some funeral homes treat the bodies better, um, some not so good with their makeup, whatever. So people have a certain kind of expectation. So there's this phrase, who got the body? And that's the title of the poem. It's not necessarily a, anyway, let me just read it. <laughs> who got the body? The question asked in every black passing to determine who gets to dress up the dead, paint our faces to make us look like the living as service to our send off, who got the body? Who possesses the repossessed taken back by a God who recalls us for faulty functioning, exhausted wear and tear, war-torn time travel, who adorns us? dust us over in the newfound but final fondness of ugly foundation who folds our fingers into prayer as a sign we are hoping in the next life to belong to ourselves in my childhood i belonged to everybody they told me who to be and who i dare not my father cautioned me threatened me against failure, against presenting the worst possibilities of my person in the world, trained me to try and try again, accepting that anything less than success would make me worthless, cautioned, threatened me with punishment, lorded over my masculinity with caveats of conditional castration that turned me into one of his women, his second seat servant, silent subject, dared me to have a dick, dominated me with speechlessness and special attention to my need to know that the only man of the house was him, is the lady of the house home. Certainly we are. One of us born with a womb 
to birth bodies not assigned the same schedule of corporeal deference as herself. One of us carved out in the middle of his body. My father was a surgeon who specialized in the removal of scrotums. He took my most precious gifts, including my desire to father, because fathers walk the world with bloody hands and carry our genitalia as talisman around their necks. Brutal badges of honor, we are at home stylized as special kinds of noose who never learn to hang the men who lynch us. Who got the body? He do, they do. Who do in the words of men with cursing mouths who condition us to hate whole childhoods, to envy actual children, they got the body. Fathers and the fear who grip us about the neck occasionally allowing gasps of air to feed their need for living signifiers of supremacy. The hands of a father are a boogeyman a nighttime revelation that fear never sleeps. Fear is the hardest working man alive because there is always so much more life to take, so much surrender to commandeer, so much potential to swallow whole fear. The insatiable chupacabra sucking the blood of sheep through straws. I have a hole in the bottom of my belly for it now. I make it easy for them. And sometimes I call the sensation butterflies just before exsanguination draining when I am made one of the untouchable dead, undead. The hands of a father are the fearful folklore of family creating all the omens of our sick psychology, all the what will happen if I try and do not triumph tooth fairies, knocking all the teeth from our mouths then telling us to put them under pillows as reminders that they are the Lord of our words. Who got the body they do? fear and the fathers. When I was nine, I saw my father naked and knew that I was not a man. I wonder now if time intends such moments as surgical stratagem to undercut us into forever boy bodies. Unforgettable reminders that we are required to be eternally emotionally infantile and that we can never be as big as our first glimpse of our fathers in the world who got the body. They do. Fear and the fathers. I am the product of two surgeon fathers, one who taught me a man has the right to refuse paternity if it suits his preference for color of skin. The other who taught me a man is given the privilege of exercising his demons on all the world around him, of creating for himself a house full of eunuchs, servants who breathe only to make him a master who got the body. I have walked this world with a barren womb because in hysteria over his own creation, my father cut away my imaginary uterus and left me a body without future fruit. I had my first hysterectomy in Beth Israel Hospital five minutes after my face split my mother open to tell her, no matter what they say, it's a girl. There are limited spaces available for men. Some women birth boys whom the fathers transmute to reconsider truth as soon as the boy within them senses threat, the threat of an heir, a mandate to one day abdicate to better versions of themselves. The surgical procedure that followed proceeded to sterilize me at five when the afterfather father frowned at what he heard he feared was forming in my flesh, my potential to flower. So he polluted all my pollen and left me with a stigma. I am a sterilized bouquet of ungerminated seeds. Fathers are not without fear. That's the reason that they walk the world with tongue-sized machetes and two strong hands. They build mute mouth monuments to themselves inside us, turn us to stone. I bear the burden of many men on my back. I carry monumental memories of men who forgot themselves, who got the body. Last night, my fathers visited me in dreams. And even with dead cold hands reached again for a sliver of meat, a meal for themselves in the afterlife of their prestigious legacy of executive excisions. But I have been placing myself on the altar of my paternity as a burnt offering for nearly five decades. And there is no more meat to eat, no more ancestor to honor, no more honorific prayer, only the horror of this blood ritual we call unrequited love. Did you know, did you know that Your first broken heart comes in the form of the disappointment you lock inside yourself when you don't live up to the expectations you have been told that you better not disappoint. Your first love was a father. And then they build gods and call them father too to reinforce the fear. Last night, my fathers told me the answer to the question black folks keep asking each time they see my dead and decaying dreams, who got the body? They do them. Fathers and fear have always had us all.
Oh my gosh, Tariq. How long does it take you to write something like that? Um, <laughs> it depends, uh, again, hit and miss. Um, <laughs> it depends on how tapped, how tuned in I am in my meditative practice. Mm. Um, when I'm dialed in, I can sit down and write this in 30 minutes. Um, other times it might be a bit more of a struggle, take a few days, but um, typically 30 minutes to an hour because my once my brain gets going, I just write until it's it says stop. Sorry, that's why the poem is so long. I should have warned you. I should have warned you. <laughs> you know what? I, I should have known because I feel like you write very long poems I or do. the what the ones that some of the ones you shared with us are long. Yeah. But they're, but they're, but I mean, it's I'm the way you said that are, like, are long. They're, well, no, because I, I, I don't, I, I don't want to say I can, I could, I yeah. just don't write poems. Like to me that mine are so much, even in my mind, like I can tell when I'm writing, if I'm trying to get it to go longer, I'm like, no, this poem is done. This poem is over. This poem is complete. Like yeah. I feel that way about it. So I'm wondering, I'm, I'm wondering every time I write, I'm kind of waiting for that feeling of like, keep going. Cause like Lolita writes really long poems as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just, I do feel like maybe one day I will, but for me, I, I kind of feel the, I feel the ending coming near and it's just, it is what it is, but Hey, you never know. Maybe one day I'll write a long form poem. You know, we, we've all got different processes. And for me, I write from, from images in my head. Mm -hmm. I can see the full image. And what I'm trying to do in order to give you the experience of the image is I'm picking the image apart. So I'm thinking about not just what they're doing in, in this image I'm, I'm seeing, this vision I have, not just what they're saying, but I'm thinking about color, shape, movement, sound, smell, and I'm going through this picture, picking off these elements, putting them into the poem until there's nothing left to see. And yeah. that's when I know that's when I know that the poem is done because there's nothing else for me to say. Um, but I also know that I've created a full um, picture for you, you know, and that it's an experience that you can actually get inside. It's immersive in the way that yeah. I need it to be. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for your book. Thank you. And um, where can people find you uh, more about you and your poetry workshops and all the things that you're doing? Uh, you can check out Sankofa, S-A-N-K-O-F-A services, S-E-R-V-I-C-E-S, -E -E one word, LLC.org. And there you'll find links to my workshops. Um, I've got a podcast that's coming now that I'm finally finished with my dissertation, I can actually devote some time to that. Um, I've got merchandise for sale over at Pulse Designs, but there's a link on my um, my website as well. And you'll also be able to purchase the book in a couple of months um, through my website as well. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me, Tariq. You're thank you for having me. So fun. And I'm excited to I'm excited for your book. I'm excited to um, for your podcast. It's so exciting. Yeah. And hey, you know, I'll see you. I'll see you around Clubhouse. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting on your poetry manuscript. Didn't we talk about a book for you? Oh, yeah. So I am in the process. I'm I'm maybe 75 percent done. I have it in the hands of mm -hmm. an editor right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm figuring out a couple of like missing pieces. There's mm -hmm. some stuff that I kind of have to flesh out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And my goal right now is in within 60 days to have it like completed manuscript. And then I would have it kind of then I would have to go through the, you know, line by line editing grammatical yeah. stuff and everything. Yeah. But yeah, I'm it's going to be this year that I publish it. I'm speaking it out. I'm speaking it out. Yeah. <laughs> That's it awesome. It has been a process. So we'll celebrate together with our book launches. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Tariq. I appreciate you. Thank you. Look, you've nobody has had me smiling for this long. I hate smiling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it feels weird for my face. <laughs> Only you could get me to do this. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's the best compliment. <laughs> okay, are you inspired? Are you inspired to write some poetry?
<laughs> I hope so. I hope that something that Tariq shared inspired you to write or especially take him up on that challenge, the 30 day writing challenge, which is a really great challenge. And again, I do like that he shared, it doesn't have to be good, right? Like I think that prohibits us from doing some of the work that we want to do is just this idea that it has to be good, especially writers. Writers, I think every writer I've ever spoken to talks about how you have to create bad work. You have to be willing to be mediocre, to create something bad in order to turn it into something good. So like Tariq shared, you write every day. And then if you go back a few days, you'll think, oh, I actually wrote that. And maybe it's not even perfect or it's not the way that you want it to be, but you can take that piece that you wrote and build on it, which is really exciting, which is what I, which is really one of the reasons I enjoy writing. It's just fun to see what shows up. So I hope that you take him up on that challenge. And if you don't do it for 30 days, maybe just three days or five days or seven days, just do one day tomorrow, right? That's all. Just take the first step tomorrow. And then the next day, decide to do it again. <laughs> one step, take the right, the next right step. That's all you can do. Thank you so much for listening. If we are not yet connected on Instagram, please go over and find me on Instagram. Connect with me. Let me know what you enjoyed about this episode, what you took away from it and what inspired you. What inspired you about this episode? I would love to hear. And until next time, go create something.